You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Happy Inauguration Day, Savage Lovecast listeners. We've got a new president, uh, but you still have problems. Lots and lots of problems. The, the nation's problems are hopefully solved. The economy, the environment, the gays. Uh, all of our problems are solved because we have President Barack Obama, which is really cool and historic. And it would have been nicer if we didn't have to look at Rick Warren's big, fat, lying, hypocritical face giving the invocation. But, hey... It's over. Uh, We ripped that Band-Aid off, and now we're going to find out when the Obama administration really takes over who was played today at the inauguration. Either Rick Warren was played because Barack Obama is going to fulfill all his promises to the gay community, or uh, the gay community was played with all those promises, and Barack Obama is going to continue to uh, fillet the Rick Warrens of the world uh, in an effort to reach out or reach around. But we're not going to dwell on that because it's a happy day for the country, and I'm just not going to allow myself to be perpetually galled by the Rick Warren thing. Uh, So we're going to set that aside and get to your calls and get to your problems. Because while the country's problems, as I said, are solved, your problems will be shortly. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for details. Hi. Uh, my question is this. My father's a cross-dresser. I discovered this fully when I was about 12 years old, and it was very emotionally damaging to me. Uh, now I'm over it. His life is his life. It's fine. I accept it. I love him dearly. However, I'm not really interested in the details, uh, but he's the best father that I ever could have dreamed to have had. My issue is I have a daughter who's coming up on 10 years old. She adores my father as well. He has always been very... Uh, interactive, she adores him and looks up to him so much, much as I did as a child. The issue is when I found out, I was drastically changed. Uh, He tells me now that he never would have hidden it from me knowing what he did now and how unashamed he is now. He is incredibly open-minded, and I would love to believe I am as well. I have many ties in the gay community and have no prejudices toward individuals of all lifestyles. However, I just can't get past how damaging it was to me when I found out. And I've always sworn that I would keep her from the trauma that I went through. Her father and I have friends that she realizes are in gay relationships. And we've always taught her to be accepting and non-judgmental, which she is. And he feels that it's nothing to be ashamed of, and I agree. But this is not his primary lifestyle. And I could go, you know, my entire life without knowing the sexual side to him. That would be great. <laughs> Uh, just recently, my daughter's asked to go spend time with him in his house, where a lot of his things are laid out in the open, wigs, dresses, etc. And I wouldn't let her go just knowing that that would be out there and just how shocking that initial aspect would be to her. And she just didn't understand. She got angry. And should I let her know, you know, knowing how it affected me, or I just believe there's some th- certain things that children shouldn't need to know, especially, you know, their parents' sexual behaviors. <laughs> and uh, even though he wants to be open about it. I want her to be open to sexual and loving, but this is one of the most emotionally damaging things that has ever happened to me. So do I tell her? 
Uh, you may not have been expecting me, and you might not be expecting my answer either. I think you're doing everything wrong. Really? Yeah, because now your kid has the impression that there's a family secret, and the trauma that you experienced when you found out that your father was a crossdresser, you're setting your daughter up for, because now she's going to find out that yeah. daddy was a, that Gramps is a crossdresser, instead of it just being kind of a fact of life that Gramps is a little silly and likes to dress up. Yeah. Gramps is a drag queen, like. You know, there's cross-dressing uh, where guys want to lay around in lingerie and masturbate slowly all day long. And there's mm-hmm. transvesticism, which I can't really pronounce. Uh, no one really can, not even transvesticists. Uh, and that's about some deep psychological need to, like, wear women's clothing. It, it provides some degree of comfort. And there may be a sexual component, but it's not wholly sexual, any more than, like, a gay relationship you know, while there is a sexual aspect, is entirely sexual. It's also about lots of other things. Not that I'm equating uh, homosexuality to cross-dressing. They're very different animals um, uh, with different plumages. Uh, but you are creating, uh, you're setting your daughter up for the trauma that you experienced in an effort to protect her from the trauma you experienced. Right. Can you see that? No, I do. That's why I called, because I wasn't sure. And it's definitely really clear when you say that. It was just... What was hard for you when you found out? That the secret had been kept from you or that dad wore panties every once in a while? I think it was more of that. But, you know, the the difference was um, I was raised by my mother to be very religious, ah. which, I, which I'm not anymore. I definitely see uh, religion in a different night than I did when I was a child. Plus, I went to Christian schools. So, and it was like if people that I went to school with found out, I would have been just... Crucified. You know what I mean? Your, your daughter doesn't have any of those issues necessarily because, you know, it's not a parent. It's once removed. It's a grandparent. Right. Right? What if, you know, your father was Harvey Firestein and was on stage, you know, seven days a week or six days a week in hairspray and a dress jumping around? Like, right. Are drag queens or drag performers not allowed to have kids or grandkids? No. And that's how you should present it to your kid. You know, my dad... Right likes to dress up in women's clothing because it gives him silly, gassy pleasure, and it, it makes him feel good, and it's something he does for fun. And you don't have to decide fun as, you don't have to define fun as, it gives my dad a boner, whether that's true or not, whether that's 100% true or not. You don't have to go there. Yeah, I prefer not to, too, you know. <laughs> you know, I used to do drag, and there's a picture of me in drag with my boyfriend uh, in my kitchen on the wall that my kid, who's 10, is... Uh, seems to take p- peculiar pleasure pointing out to his friends and asking them to guess who that guy is with his other dad. Yeah. So I, I don't think if you've raised your kid right and you haven't tormented her about the religiosity crap that she's going to be traumatized with this. She's being traumatized now by, I can't go to Grandpa, something's up, there's some secret. She's going to imagine much, much worse. Or when you finally allow her to go, she's going to regard his cross-dressing as terrible, otherwise he wouldn't have picked up such a fuss about it in the first right. place. So you've already colored her reaction. Okay. A goof about it. Now, the last thing I want to address is, you know, you say your father was a cross-dresser, but also really compassionate, best father a person could have. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage you not to look at that as a coincidence, but perhaps there's a causal relationship there. Maybe one of the reasons your dad was a great dad is not despite the cross-dressing, but because of it. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, putting on a woman's dress makes somebody a great father, but uh, perhaps his cross-dressing struck a little compassion into his heart for people who were different mm-hmm. and made him a little bit more empathetic 
about other people and their private or public pleasures and, and pastimes and made him a more tolerant, compassionate individual because he's asked for tolerance and compassion, and so he gives it. Right. No, that's a very good point. It's really nice talking to you. <laughs> talking to you too. Now stop torturing your daughter about her grandpa. Absolutely. All right? All right. Thank you so much for your help. You're welcome. Hi, Dan. I'm a 21-year-old bisexual female, and I have a question about male arousal. Um, essentially, the more turned on I get, the more turned on my boyfriend gets, which is great, except that during sex, he comes as soon as I start to get into it. I've never had an orgasm during sex, so I guess his priority isn't trying to get me off, but it's really frustrating because inevitably I end up reaching for my vibrator. We've been together for about a year. Um, we've tried Tantra. We've tried him starting and stopping during masturbation, but it just doesn't seem that important to him. But it's really frustrating for me because sometimes you just want to lie there and get pounded for a while. So any advice you have would be great. You say his priority isn't getting you off. Um, you can make that his priority. You can insist that that become his priority uh, by not participating in his getting off so long as things uh, continue the way that they're going. Now, it could be that he just has a problem that once you start really getting aroused and bucking away uh, and fucking him back, uh, which uh, somebody who's being penetrated can certainly do, um, that that just shoves him over the falls, puts him over the top, and there's not a lot he can do about it. He really can't help it. Um, and if that's the case, uh, and consequently you're not getting pounded as long or as hard as you would like, I would urge you instead of reaching for the vibrator after he has his orgasm to reach for the vibrator before he has his orgasm. Um, also to reach for the penetrative toys before he has his orgasm, before he's even in you. Um, and, and just reverse the flow of things. Like sometimes you have to accept what you cannot change. You should insist that your pleasure be as much of a priority however he goes about achieving that for you. However, you both go about achieving that for you, whether that's he needs to really get serious about learning to uh, put off his orgasms uh, as long as possible because you know his coming and then wanting to be done is unfair to you and leaves you in the lurch. Or if that's not possible, if he's made a good faith effort, then you need to just rearrange things and say, you're going to eat me till I come and you're going to use my vibrator on me and make me come and I'll give you a stroke every once in a while to keep you aroused and in the game. But... You're going to get me off. We're going to get my orgasms rolling. And uh, you're going to penetrate me with fingers and dildos and this vibrator. Uh, and then when I feel that you've earned it, when I've had my fill, when I'm going over the falls over and over and over again, when I decide that your orgasm would be well-timed now, then you can fuck me. And if you can do that, uh, you both could possibly win. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like the Savage Lovecast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. We just checked. The Tech Savvy at Risk Youth just checked. And Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, is now available at audible.com. So if you'd like to find out what the big, fat, hateful hypocrite has to say and what he's all about besides seconds at every meal and everything a la mode, you might want to go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for your free audiobook download now. Hey, Dan. I need some, uh, some advice with the relationship that I'm currently involved in. I'm a 35-year-old dating a 21-year-old female. 
we met at work, and it was just going to be a summer fling um, as she was our intern. We fell in a very deep and intense relationship um, soon after. Um, sexually, we were both very satisfied um, with each other, and honestly, it's the best sex I've ever had. After becoming more involved um, in the relationship, she revealed to me that she's bipolar, manic-depressive, with sociopathic tendencies. Um, she's currently not on medication due to no insurance, and I'm trying to get her to uh, seek medication. Um, after doing some research online for dating someone with bipolar disorder, about 9 out of 10 sites recommended leaving the relationship which is not very encouraging, to say the least. Um, I tried to back away from the uh, exclusive relationship and tried to see other people, but this only triggered a path of self-destructive actions in which she almost overdosed, which is really too much trauma for me. Um, I'm, I'm more of a laid-back person and don't really, don't really get into um, the, the big drama scene. Uh, when things are good with her, they're great. Um, but when they're bad, they're really bad. And I really, um, I really do feel a strong connection for her. But sometimes I feel somewhat like a father figure who has uh, constantly keeping an eye on her and making sure she doesn't uh, overstep boundaries. Um, uh, if I were to try and start to back out of the relationship, she, I'm afraid that she would try to hurt herself again. I'm all about leaving the campsite better than I found it, and any advice would be greatly appreciated. So you're not in a relationship. You are in a hostage situation. Yeah. Where she is controlling you by making implicit threats against herself. Yeah. It's kind of like that scene in Blazing Saddles where Cleon Little, I believe, is the actor, points a gun at his own head and takes himself hostage. Right. <laughs> a little bit like that. It's a really obscure reference. <laughs> and yeah. I'm betraying my age there. But there you go. I'm there with you, man. <laughs> you know, you're not her therapist, and you're not her father, and you're not her family, and you have a right to exit this relationship carefully, to back out of it carefully. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter that she doesn't have any family or support in the town where she's at. What you should do, if you know her well enough, uh, to have been in touch with her family or to get her family's info, is to call her folks. Yeah. Call the people who are stuck with her and say, look, we got this relationship's not working, she's harming herself, she's not on her meds, um, and I'm going to back away and she's going to probably not react well and you guys are going to need to be family here, and I'm not yeah. family. Right, right. It's a boyfriend I was dating and I'm not, I'm not signing up for this. Right. You need to do it as compassionately as possible. You owe her as compassionate a breakup as possible, but you don't owe her the rest of your life because she may harm herself if you leave. Because right. that just encourages her to view harming herself as a way of controlling people. Right, right. And it, and it totally worked. I mean, I, I kind of I, I backed out of the relationship once, and uh, and you know saw this you know self-destructive pattern you know go really fast and. Um, it, uh, I you guess came, I guess came running back. Yeah, and you don't, yeah. you'll never know whether that self-destructive pattern would have ended up with her destruction, right? Or once she realized it wasn't going to work, she would have knocked it the fuck off and moved right. on to her next victim. Right, right. She she does have a sister that is moving down for a temporary time and um, at the end of this month, and um, 
Call her and, and right I'm, now, like privately. Call her sister. Say, look, this is what's going on. I'm backing out. I need to end this relationship. It's not working out for me. You, regard, you know, regardless of her health issues, I, I wasn't interested in pursuing this. Right. And I'm not going to stay with somebody for the rest of her, you know, the next six decades of my life who I'm not interested in being with just because she has mental health issues and because she's threatening to harm herself. That's not that's not a relationship. That's a hostage situation. Right, you right. Need to, you need to negotiate your own release. Right. Is there, um, I've, I've talked with a friend, and they have mentioned that, you know, if she gets, you know, the counseling, if she gets the medication, if she, you know, starts finding, you know, a job for herself that's, you know, kind of away from me, and, and it's and it's more of a quote-unquote normal relationship, you know, and and that's and I, and I thought, well, that's not a bad idea, and I kind of pitched that at her, and um, you know, there's there's still a thing, there's a hesitation of the medication and things of that nature. But if if uh, I, I somewhat would like to continue the relationship, but because the sex uh, is so great, the very first thing you said, the sex is great, but my God, she's bonkers. right, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, you know, just like the for callers who've already listened to the show, just like earlier, like the cross-dressing grandpa who's a great dad, not a coincidence right. necessarily. Great sex and completely batshit crazy, not necessarily. Uh, that could be, a, you know, not necessarily. Great sex and batshit crazy is usually not a coincidence. A lot of people who are batshit are great. <laughs> right, right. And people that are really sane can be really horrible and bad, right? Right, <laughs> um, right, right. But, um, but yeah, so... It, mental health people are going to get after me for the tone of this call. People with mental health issues, you know, it's been the experience of many people out there that sometimes the best sex they've ever had in their life is with people who are... Deeply, deeply disturbed for some reason. Yeah, um, right, just right. Not to like slime the deeply disturbed. It's actually one of their superpowers, and they deserve props for it. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I found that time and time again on on the on the internet. You know, uh, you know, finding out more and more about people that were in uh, relationships with bipolar people that weren't bipolar themselves. You know, found that oh my God, you know, this person is electric. You know, in in these aspects. And then again, you know, whenever the whenever the the ship breaks down, then you know it's it's just like a it's like a a cave, you know, walls come falling in on you, and, and right. it's like people will ultimately decide if they're in the relationship long enough that whatever they like about this person, and oftentimes there's a lot to like there, isn't worth the walls falling in on you every six months or three months right. or three weeks. Right. Right. Um, and she's got to learn to stand on her own two feet and to take yeah. her meds and to take care of herself before she enters into a relationship, not after. Yeah, yeah. And and, I've, and I kind of tried to pitch that one at her as well. It's like, oh, you know, maybe right now is not our time to be together. It looks like, you know, you've got you got some shit you need to take care of. Maybe you got some shit you want to do first. And, you know, like I feel that we do, you know, hit so well on so many things. It's just those few really bad things that, you know, kind of like, you know, kind of freak me out or whatever. And it's just I don't really know how to react to the situation, you know, right now. And so yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe just need to call the family, kind of, you know, get with them and, you, you know. You make up your mind that it's over and yeah. it's no longer, right. you know, you're negotiating your release. You're not, you're not entertaining the possibility of, of staying together. Right, right, right. And all you do, what, what's required of you campsite rules-wise, I think, in a situation like this, is not yep. to spend the next seven decades of your life taking care of this person or being there for her or being in this relationship. It's to alert the people who can be her support system if they know she's in crisis. Gotcha. Her sister, her family, her parents, 
whoever. Yeah. Yeah. Provide her if you feel, uh, if you can find this info, with local resources for people who are in mental crisis, who are are in a crisis Mm -hmm. like this, that like she's going to be in when you go. And then go. Yep. Yep. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much for your information, Dan. You're welcome. Hi, Dan. I have a question about virginity and uh, and the losing thereof. Um, I've been dating a guy for about three months. We've been sleeping together for about two months. Uh, he's 29. He's great. And when I met him, he was a virgin. The reason he was a virgin was he grew up like super-duper Christian. He left that religion about less than a year ago, um, about nine months or so. He decided he was an atheist. Uh, so I, I technically, I deflowered him, but, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of the problem. Um, you know, the most he had ever done was coming on a girl's tits and, and blowjobs and, you know, all the everything, everything but kind of things. And, and I can get him to come doing those things, but, uh, but my vagina is like kryptonite to his penis. You know, it, it goes in and it goes soft. And, you know, I totally, I totally understand that. Like, just in addition to the whole social stigma of being a virgin so late, and then, you know, he was told for 29 years that he would go to hell for putting his penis in my vagina when we're not married. Like, those, those are big things to overcome. And he, he definitely has religious issues still, you know, his panic attacks about going to hell for leaving Christianity and, you know, has nightmares and sees a therapist. So, you know, it's definitely a subconscious thing going on, which, you know, we're kind of working through trying to together. And it's, I lost my virginity at 25. So I, I think I understand that kind of, you know, panic that you're never going to fuck someone and how it can cause a lot of anxiety. Um, but it's, you know, it's been two months. He's he's getting really frustrated with it. And I just, I wanted some advice from you about how I, as his partner, could do everything I can to help him work through it. Um, he's a really great guy. And it just, it's really hard for me to see him just getting so down on himself every time this happens. And the more it doesn't happen the more anxious he gets and then so the more it doesn't happen is kind of what I think is going on and it's a bad cycle to be in. Take vaginal intercourse off the table. It's only been two months. He was a virgin until 29 because God hates vaginal intercourse apparently Um, and he has these hang-ups and he's in therapy. You're attaching way too much uh, importance. This is looming too large in your sex life. You guys are putting too much on him and his dick and the rapidity with which he can you can expect him to get the fuck over the 29 or 28 and a half years of religious indoctrination that he suffered if he functions when he's titty fucking you if he functions when you're blowing him uh, if he can eat you out if he can get you off you guys need to lower the stakes and lower the stakes for his Failure, Because now you're not only tapping into his religious hangups uh, about 
you know, the dastardliness of premarital vaginal intercourse. Now you're creating a whole new hangup, which is uh, performance anxiety because he's been unable to do it. And now it's going to be the self-fulfilling prophecy, if I may use that word in this context, where his performance anxiety induced by all these frustrated attempts prematurely, uh, in my opinion, at vaginal intercourse this early in his sexual evolution and this early in his nascent sexual life is just going to rack him with anxiety until the performance anxiety that you've created with him will take over from the religious hangup. So what you need to do is back the fuck off, take vaginal intercourse off the table. You know, he's only been sexually active for two months. Stop acting like he's a 29-year-old man and start treating him like a 14-year-old boy. All right? Start with a little more compassion, a lot more training wheels. And I'm just going to say it one more time. Take vaginal intercourse the fuck off the table. Uh, so that he doesn't feel like every time he's sexual with you that that is expected of him and that every time he does it, he fails for now. Uh, and so you need to go into every sexual encounter for the next six months at least with an expectation, with the only pressure being that you're going to pleasure each other, that you're both – you're going to be intimate, that you're going to be close, that you're going to kiss, that you're going to stroke each other, that he's going to have an orgasm and that you're going to have an orgasm. But there will be no fucking for now. And just – being given permission to be sexual with you and to enjoy it without him having to fear uh, failing at vaginal intercourse, failing uh, when time for penetration comes, will help lighten his load, will help release him, will help him to focus on eradicating the religious hang-up without worrying about the creation of a brand new hang-up around performance anxiety. And then let him, when he feels ready, and when it feels natural and when it, it doesn't feel he's under so much pressure, initiate some vaginal intercourse. Uh, and what you should do the first few times you have it is have it be understood that he may enter you but he may not stay in you for very long, that he can enter you and fuck away for a little while. And if he starts to lose his orgasm that he can pull out and that you can then move on to oral or manual stimulation without attaching this, oh, my God, he fucking failed again bullshit to that incident. All right. Hi, Dan. I was listening to your latest podcast on the way home today. And the last letter from the girl in Alaska, uh, I just started thinking of my four month old daughter. And if she were ever to come to me and tell me she was gay, the first thing I would do would be to hug her and tell her how much I love her. And I hope this girl in Alaska knows that there are people out there that'll do just that. Um, I, I just I wanted to know that she just needs to stick it out, and hopefully she can find some place where she'll be safe, and she'll be loved. And she's only 17, and she, she has her whole life ahead of her. And I hope that she really gets to find out that there are people in this world that'll love her and won't judge her. And it just it hurt me. I all I thought was about my little girl, and the fact that somebody else could do that to their child just drove me crazy. So I just wanted to call and tell her to hang in there and let her know that there are people out there that will take care of her and protect her and love her for who she is. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks very much for the call. It's always good to be reminded when you get nothing all day long but letters and calls from people whose families or partners are failing them that there are good, loving, decent people out there who happen to be parents. That you know, People don't write me when their parents do everything right. When their parents are great and their parents come through and their parents are loving and supportive. People only write and call typically when their parents are assholes who are, or the families uh, are comprised of nothing but assholes uh, 
who are tormenting them and hurting them. So it's good to hear from you, and I think it's good for that previous caller to hear from you. So thanks very much. Hi, Dan. Um, I just listened to episode 115. It was great. Um, and I just want—I just had a suggestion for um, the woman who talked about not really being into the swinger scene. Um, if it turns out that she is, in fact, made uncomfortable by the whole, you know, swing vibe, the club scene and all that stuff, um, I just wanted to suggest that she join a bowling league. I know it sounds terribly, terribly retro, but um, my husband and I, when we were um, married for a few years and we had talked about the possibility of, uh, you know, bringing a, uh, somebody else into the relationship just for um, sex and whatnot, um, we, uh, we joined a bowling league totally independent of, of our, uh, sex life. And we met another couple there who were very nice. And we, we saw them several times and chatted with them. And then one day the wife said, um, said to us, listen, I just want to clear something up. Are you guys swingers? And we said, no, no, no. Oh my God, no. And, uh, and she said to her husband, well, see, there you go. You owe me five bucks. And it was really uh, it, it sort of dissipated any tension, and it, it made clear that um, they most likely were. Um, and then later on, when we sort of talked about it, when my husband and I had sort of talked about it, um, it became a lot more, we decided that we, we did, you know, think it would be fun, and we talked to them about it. And um, since then, uh, it's we've belonged to a couple of um, bowling leagues over the years, and I'm not sure what it is about bowling leagues, but there are several uh, swingers. Uh, it seems, in every group. Um, so I just wanted to suggest that as a possibility if she feels the need to get out of the uh, the regular swinging scene. Thanks very much for your call and for your advice uh, for the wannabe swingers. I'm going to probably hear from the good, upstanding, decent, monogamous members of bowling leagues all over America who don't want their leagues overrun by straight couples seeking to bang uh, they're bowling partners. But hey, whatever. If it worked for you, it worked. Maybe there is a secret subculture of swinging bowlers and bowling leagues as some sort of top secret, you know, four straight people, what rest stops are for deeply closeted weirdo, uh, closet case weirdos. Anyway, we'll leave it there. <laughs> I'm getting the strangest look from the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. Uh, so we will leave it there. Usually with the time that look pops up on the face of the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, we know that I have run out of steam and it's time to hang up the mic and uh, get back to uh, vamping. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing right now. Uh, I'm just so happy and giddy about the uh, inauguration of our new president that I, I, I just need to go lie down in a dark room and listen to Rick Warren's purpose-driven life uh, and masturbate and cry. So I'm going to go do that right now. And what you're going to do is if you have a question for a future podcast, you're going to call us at 206-201-2720. Leave us your name, your number. I'm giddy. I'm giddy about President Obama. Uh, leave us your name, your number. We promise not to broadcast them. Try to keep your question under a couple minutes, uh, and we will call you back. Uh, and we will broadcast your question and my answer and my dithery, blathery vamping. Uh, when I just don't know uh, that it's time to shut up. It's it time to shut up? Text me or see the other nodding. All right, we're done. We're, we're done. Goodbye. <laughs>